Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Phase Zero, Episode 28. Can you believe this is Episode 28? We've been doing this for 28 weeks already. WandaVision is already more than six months old. Unbelievable. I'm your host, Brandon Davis, the Fantastic Four in the building. Jenna Anderson. Hey, everybody. Jamie Girac. Good morning. Aaron Perrine. What's going on, you guys? Ooh, it is funny how uh, all of our different time zones result in different hellos here on the show. <laughs> our West Coaster Jamie is always like, good morning, everybody. And we're I'll all never like, be okay this early. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Listen, two hours ago, I wasn't okay, so I feel you. It's just uh, mm-hmm. we're here. I'm here in Nashville, so uh, I got a little head start. Uh, I want to start out by thanking uh, one of our fans and listeners, Elliot, for the epic fan art, the Fantastic Four fan art, which was so cool. I mean, that was awesome. I have never, like, never been so honored in my life. Just somebody deciding to create new tattoos for me was like really cool. (laughs) It it was the attention to detail for me, Jenna with the pops, Jamie with the tattoos, Aaron with the jersey, me with the Nova Pop, and the the little the little chin the the chin strap. (laughs) I love Elliot. Uh, You're a legend for that and uh, we appreciate all of our listeners but that right there made us feel really special and also I mean Jim Viscardi in jail we love to see that I laughed so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> really so, Elliot felt guilty because then Jim got a cool moon night I know own separate that's right that's right he did get his own special moon night it is now his Twitter profile picture and that is really cool uh, we have a cool show today uh, we have Loki director Kate Heron joining us for a 30 minute interview in the second half of the show deleted scenes how some things were made, how Easter eggs came into play, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I feel like I read the comment section and that fuels my questions that I don't already have. And a lot of us have very, uh, a lot of things in common. So I think, you know, some of the questions Jenna and I asked there were a lot of fun. I think people are going to dig that. Uh, We're going to get Jamie's Loki reaction in just a minute here. But first, coming in all the way from his jail cell, welcome back to phase zero Jim Biscotti! <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> dark, the darkest, most ominous entrance. It feels good to be back, but also oh, because it's Moon Knight Day, baby. Moon Knight Day. I am, I am just, I'm flush with the Moon Knight. Okay, look, I went out to my local comic shop first thing this morning, and look at all of the covers I bought. Wow. I bought all of, I bought all of them. You all of the covers shop today? Yeah, I did. Wow. It also helps when you know the comic shop owner that, le- and he lets you get your stuff early. Nice. But <laughs> I was flush so far from me because I would go down to that's you go to Z's Comic Lair. Right? That's right, Z's Comic Lair in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Boom, boom. Yeah, Here we go. That's- that's a 45-minute trek for me at a, from downtown Nashville. <laughs> I can't be doing that on Wednesday morning. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm on the Jamie train. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look I, I – okay. I'm just going to start out by saying if there was ever a number one issue, jumping on point, blah, 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 this is it. Like, I've read a lot of Moon Knight comics in my time. This is so good. So good. It, it is it is a thing that we've talked about this a, a, a ton of times. Moon Knight is a complicated can be a complicated character, right? Like it's he's got three different personalities, uh, four if you add Mister Knight and then and whatever. But like also, you know, he's this force of nature kind of thing that 
uh, is just so cool to see on this page. So as I, real quick, this is a, it's by Jed McKay art by uh, Alessandro Capuccio with colors by uh, Rochelle Rosenberg and every single, I'm going to like, let's just look at this. Look, look, look how amazing that looks. Ooh. Okay. Right. Like just, it That's is pretty dope art. Nice. Right. Hold on. There's, and then you've got, you got Moon Knight. Look, look, look at him. Just look, look how menacing that dude looks. It's so I'm getting cool. punched by those spiky fists. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. And like, look for, for anyone who wants to, you know, play the comic book speculation game. There is a new villain in this. That is, that Ethan is, Hall. looks like it's going to, well, no, but it looks like it's going to give Moon Knight a good run for his money. But it's really cool. Just like, look, the basic premise is basically, a while ago, Moon Knight got uh, Moon Knight basically fought Kanchu or or betrayed not betrayed Kanchu, but Kanchu went like crazy power hungry, and Moon Knight was like, uh, "No, thank you. Uh, I've seen the error of of your ways, and I'm not I'm not doing this." But and so basically, he started a he kind of started a church in the sense that he uh, in his in his neighborhood. Uh, he has a he has a congregation where uh, people who have issues right come and meet Mister Knight, and uh, they they air their grievances. Oh, there's vampires that are attacking me on the street, right? Like just your standard Marvel universe, uh, you know, you know, crazy stuff, right? And um, it's it's one of those, and then basically Mister Knight gives the job to Moon Knight who goes out and does, you know, crazy stuff in the sense that like he makes villains kind of pay. Um, it, it, it gives you everything you need to know because inner inner cut in all this is uh, him and a therapist just kind of like talking through his issues and problems and, and all of that. And it, and it does a great job of setting up um, who he is like what what makes him tick what the you know what everything um does uh, you know just like what, what his whole mission is and like honestly it is i was shocked at how much i like look I, i'm biased right i love moon knight but there have been a bunch of moon knight runs that i like or issues and, and and periods of time where like i just the book was just not good right like there was like everyone likes to point to the the civil war ish era of, of moon knight and it's it's very that's very grim dark uh and it's just like really dark and this mixes everything that has come before in a way just so perfectly and it just gets me more and more excited that like look we're on the we're on the road to moon night baby and and i had the realization the other day that when the all the loki pops came out uh i was like oh oh, <laughs> Jim, oh no merch era is about to begin yep. it is it about, already imagine i am yep i am about to go so broke <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, we'll, we'll have to get you the Hot Toys hookup over there. With, <laughs> right, with, like, uh, and like that's that's the thing. Like, we're we're about to get to a point where they're going to make a Hot Toys figure that has Oscar Isaac's face on it for Moon Knight. Imagine me when they make Nova. <laughs> I I, I, that's a, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how you feel right now. I can tell you how you feel because that was yeah. me during WandaVision. I was yeah. like, me with Birds of Prey and me with She Hulk. Like, once all the She Hulk merch comes out, I'm really. Tatiana, honestly. come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I completely there. understand how you're feeling. So Casually cosplaying in the comment section wants Jim to give us a Moon Knight impression. I, I don't even know I could do a Moon Knight impression. I don't even know what Moon Knight would say, like, just even sounds like. He sounds like me. With my. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's how I read it over. in my head. Oh, oh! Uh, I'm gonna have to uh, go over to Rick's Comic City. I think I mean, later today, which is my closest cool. comic book shop. Look at shop. how cool that shot is! Yeah, and pick so up this cool. book and read it myself. Uh, yeah. But uh, so anyway, go yeah. anyway, so get, get, it's available digitally. It's available on comic, you know, on shelves. Now. I'm a physical there copy are, guy. There are like forty. There are like forty covers for the book. So pick one. Pick the one that you like the best. Uh, yeah, or pick them all. Forty, if you're Jimmy, or, or pick them all. But like I like this John Romita Jr. one. John Romita Jr. back at Marvel. Love to see it. So good. <laughs> Jim was writing me letters for weeks asking to come on here and talk about Moon Knight today. Uh, he had a pen in his podcast jail cell, and I said, "Listen, we'll give you a shot." And uh, it was pretty good redemption there for Viscardi. Maybe, maybe he'll, maybe he'll get through the bars one day permanently. Um, but uh, I think you just convinced the phase your audience to go pick up comics. And that's a great thing. We'd love to do that. Go, go, your local comic shops. Do it. go check it, yeah. go check it out. And then when you're done, you, 
the creators are on Twitter. Tag them. Tag them with your copy of it. Let them know how much you love the book, and let them know where uh, who told you about it. <laughs> yeah, do that for us too. Do that for our show. Yeah. Tag our show yeah. on Twitter and just share it with everybody. I dare you to tweet Twitch.tv/comicbook. Anyway, all right, we got to move on because we have Kate Heron coming up in 15 minutes. We have an interview with Loki director Kate Heron on the show today. Very excited about. First, Jamie. Before we get to that, Loki. Start to finish. Did you like the show? Wow. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this a week late. Um, did I like the show? Oh, you bet your butt. I liked that show. Um, I thought it came together so perfectly. I mean, everything I wanted came in that last episode. And some people were like, but Jamie, you wanted Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston to ride a jet ski. Yeah, the show ain't over. They can still ride a jet ski. Uh, but <laughs> I under, so I think that I know, I think there's some complaints that maybe it was too talky, whatever. I could have watched Jonathan Majors talk for another hour and a half, two hours, eight hours. Um, I, he's just such a good actor. He's so charming. I cannot wait to see what he brings to the, to the MCU. I just, oh my God, amazing. And also I just on Sunday, I rewatched the whole show for the first time in like one sitting my first one straight binge and I loved it even more. And I tweeted this. If you saw my tweet, I'm standing by it. I think above anything, Loki's a romance and we've never really gotten that in the MCU. We have a lot of good romances, but it takes like a bunch of movies, some crazy time gaps, even Wanda and Vision. We, you know, we lose two years there. This is the first time we've really gotten like an arc, a really good role in a short amount of time. Like obviously like Fitzsimmons is a great arc in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that also took seven years. Um, and so I, I just, I, sometimes I'm going to want to watch some romance and now I have the option and whether or not you ship them is not the point. I, I, that's a whole other argument whatever. I think it's great. As a chaotic bisexual, I see myself very much in Loki's choices. I would date me too. Um, so uh, I'm very pleased. I loved it. Can't wait for more. I literally don't have a single complaint. Did it Did it dethrone WandaVision for you? No, God. <laughs> <laughs> had to ask. I knew the answer, but I had to ask. I had to hear it out loud. Don't be crazy. Yeah. But it, it did break high. In my list. Dude, the thing about Jonathan Majors I love the most, and I and I really hope this is the thing that carries over into the other variants or whatever, but like him doing his best cosmic Willy Wonka is like just was phenomenal. And, it, and it's yeah. such a great way, I think, to portray kind of the the madness of that character and the unpredictability of that character where he like he is kind of a know-it-all, but like not really. Uh, and like and you start to see those cracks. Like, I, man, it was just it was it was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if y'all want to hear more of Jamie's takes, I highly recommend following her on Twitter at Jamie Cinematic. Some clever tweets in there. I see a lot of love for Jamie in the comments. Uh, I feel like you just get the tip of the iceberg on this show. You could have Jamie Jurak 24-7 in your Twitter feed if you hit that follow button. Uh, next up, Don Sheet will talk about Armor Wars to Collider. The quote is, we're going to go into the room in a couple of weeks and actually start trying to break the spine of the story and figure out who, what, when, and where for all of it. First of all, he had to use the term break the spine for Armor Wars. Mm. Like, come on. I'm not even the one saying these things anymore. The actors are doing it. <laughs> but also, that means they're probably not really planning on showing this until late 2022, if not 2023, right? If they're just getting the story now? Yeah, that would make sense. I Yeah. I've always felt like that show and Ironheart probably won't start filming until way later. Like, those would be kind of the, like, summer 2022 if not fall shows which like i'm totally fine with i think that that's kind of a cool double feature in and of itself if we get those shows back to back but yeah it is interesting seeing how little of the story they supposedly already have figured out yeah and i mean we saw we did we have seen don Cheadle as roadie before this show we'll also see ironheart before ironheart so that's a that's that's gonna be uh, she's gonna pop up before that show uh and i'm not gonna say more than that just yet um, Tom Cheadle is the MVP of, of Space Jam, and so I can't wait to just see more of him in uh, it just in his own show. Yeah. He was oh, so yeah. good in that movie. People <laughs> so are being good. so harsh about that movie. It's like it's for kids. Let Don Cheadle be a kook. <laughs> also, if you don't already follow the Don Cheadle Word of the Day account, it consistently <laughs> is just a joy in my life. It is just this one photo of Don Cheadle with like a random word attached to it every single day. Consistently oh, delightful. <laughs> Emmy nominated Don. Yeah. Cheadle. Emmy nominated guest star Don Cheadle. Uh, yeah, so that's fun. Um, more Marvel animation is on the way. Victoria Alonso told Variety, we're going to have our animation branch and mini studio. 
And there will be more to come from that as well. We're super excited about excited about animation, which is my first love. Aaron, do you want more animation from Marvel Studios? I mean, yes. Uh, we all want more of all of it. Um, I, I, <laughs> the part of that that was so interesting was, though, didn't she say like this year is something? Which is weird to like just drop in there. And I'm like, between Malcolm saying that in Falcon Winter Soldier that there are shows that they haven't announced yet that we should know about already, and then that, I'm like, what else is coming? This year what? is already so full. What what else could possibly be coming? I don't understand, but I'm excited. D23 is next month, right? Yes. I think it is. Yeah, so I would not be surprised if they drop something there, and then it's like, oh, and it'll be available next month kind of thing. Right, like it's maybe so just like a, a one shot kind of thing, mm-hmm. or who knows. Oh no! Uh, next bit, Basam Tariq. Just give me an X Men animated series, Marvel. Come on. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> I completely agree. Basam Tariq is directing Blade. Most recently directed Mogul Mowgli. I, I haven't seen the movie yet. Has anybody here seen that movie yet? I think it's like just started screening in festivals or something. Like it, yeah. I don't even think I don't even know if it's out officially. Yeah, I don't think it's wide yet. Yep. Yeah. Hey. He must have done something with it because Kevin Feige said, you're our guy. Uh, anybody have thoughts on this? Because I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know too much about Sam Tariq's work to speak too much yet. Uh, to I, can, I can say um, I, I don't say about work, but I really like that they're starting to go with these more like indie directors um, uh, at, like Chloe. You know, so I think that bringing their own spin and stuff, even like Kathy Yan um, over at DC, there's just um, a, a fresh you know, you know, they started out with, you know, Favreau and Kenneth Branagh. And I really like that they're taking these risks with these new filmmakers. And I think they should do that with like casting and stuff too. boost people up, get them in this way. I think that's a really neat uh, direction to take. I agree completely. Yeah. I think like Marvel at this point can bring anybody into the fold. And as long as they are the right person to tell the story, then I think it's going to work. So if they trust this person, I'm fully on board with it. I like the idea of a director that I'm not particularly familiar with taking on Blade because I feel like that will make the movie so much more unique and interesting and unexpected. Yeah. And when you think about it, like, look at what they do for people. Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston weren't household names by any means before they joined Marvel. The Russo brothers weren't household names. They did Community before they ended up going on to Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, Naya DaCosta, who's doing the Marvels. Um, I mean, got Candyman on the way. But uh, still, like, I, I do appreciate that they're giving uh, some of these folks a chance to really just tell their stories with, with kind of that endless budget, which gives them freedom as directors to do pretty much whatever they want, I think, within the Marvel puzzle. Uh, not, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do think it's interesting. Black Widow had a 70% box office drop. That's a tough scene, had a huge opening. And then really, really the numbers went down uh, week to week. But uh, I mean, theaters are being pissy about it saying it's because it's on Disney plus. I think that has to be kind of true because we didn't see this sort of drop with previous films like F nine, but it is also a factor that COVID numbers are going up and people might not be wanting to go out as much. Um, and everybody who wanted to see it saw it first weekend, but uh, I don't well, know. I'm sure, but I'm sure Space Jam ate into it, right? Like, look, yeah. that's a highly anticipated family movie and parents are going to take their, their kids to go see it. And yeah, it's it's going to eat into that box office. And there's already only X amount of people going to theaters. And so it's, like, it's also the most pirated movie like ever now. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's on Disney Plus means people are not only paying to watch it at home, but getting it for free in the strongest form of HD quality because it's getting ripped straight from HD streams. So... It sucks because I love the Disney Plus release thing because I'm somebody who's going to go pay to see in theaters. And I've already watched the movie six times because I have it on the TV uh, <laughs> and I'm going to keep watching it. Um, uh, but I but it's like not everyone is going to do that. And I and I have to accept that it's really not the best form of release because not everyone wants to watch a movie six times in two weeks. I mean, if you're a theater owner, I understand why they're pissed. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's your business. That's your business. And there's no doubt that being able to watch at home eats at that. But right now it's just different circumstances. So you gotta, you gotta kind of take every bit of that with a grain of salt. Every box office right now is going to have a little asterisk next to it. 
I also um, I think it's a thing of like we keep having other like new movies pop up of like Space Jam was last week, Jungle Cruise is the week is like next week, Suicide Squad is the week after that. So it's like if people are going to the movies, they're not necessarily rewatching a movie that they already watched a week ago. So I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. And when you compare it to how many people rewatched Endgame in theaters a gazillion times, it seems a little lackluster. But it's like I get it given the circumstances of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Shang-Chi does, how the Suicide Squad does, um, and Jungle Cruise and stuff, just these upcoming... 2021 originally was, like, the most packed franchise blockbuster movie schedule nah, nah, ever before 2020, and now it's like, we're getting back to that, but with, like, this ability to watch at home, and some people don't want to go, and things like that. Uh, so it's... it's well, People want to go, but don't feel like they can. So... Uh, it's interesting. All of it's going to have a little asterisk for the foreseeable future. WandaVision changed another scene. Uh, if you go back, they, they digitally changed. Uh, I, I caught this the first time I watched WandaVision. I think it was episode three. Wanda yeets Monica out of Westview. And Vision comes walking in and says, where is um, Monica? And, and Wanda replies and says, uh, she had to go or something. It was something much sweeter, like, like, or not sweet, but like easier going. She said like, she had to go or something. And then in the previously on for episode five, she said, she's gone. She didn't belong here. And it was the same exact scene, but a very different line. Hmm. And I noticed that I was like, I wonder why they did that. Maybe this is a multiverse glitch or something. Uh, because of course I looked into it and tried to find the theory there. It wasn't that it was just a mistake and they fixed it. So now the same line from episode three is in the previously on from episode five. <laughs> so they can do that. And that's just the stuff we're noticing. That's just the stuff that's getting, I saw this in a TikTok. Uh, I wish I knew the person's TikTok off the top of my head to credit them with this, but uh, I don't remember it, but a uh, shout out to the TikToker who, who I'm, I'm sorry, this is so disrespectful to not name them. But. Nice try Marvel trying to yeah. sneak it past yeah. us. You got to get up pretty early in the morning to get one past us. We're in every time zone. Uh, <laughs> Black Widow had a watch party. Kevin Feige said, we'll find out if Yelena got snapped. I think she did because she's going to be the same age. Anybody else thinks she didn't get snapped? I think she didn't because I think that's why she's working with Val. Like, I think that over the course of those five years, that's why she is with whatever group Val is recruiting. Like, that's my justification. But I also could see that storyline working if she did get snapped. I feel like in Hawkeye, we're going to know the answer either way. Yeah. I wonder if they're... Go go ahead, Jamie. Oh, I was going to say, I think she got snapped for two reasons. One, I think it was part of Natasha's endgame motivation. Um, And two, I don't know if Florence Pugh is quite ready to play 30s. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair. I also think, too, like, it'll be interesting. Did uh, uh, Val, like, did she recruit in between Yelena and Walker? Right? Because that's a long time. And so, like, to just basically have, like, just one person and then now two people. I don't know. That's good. It'll be interesting to see how they answer I think she's that. got more I'm than sure one they person. Will. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe she even shows up in a post credit scene for Shang-Chi, whether she's recruiting Shang-Chi or a supporting character in that movie. Uh, maybe she's one of the recruiting people abomination. So maybe she maybe she is going to recruit Abomination. She needs a, she yeah. needs a Hulk, and that's, she that's where she Hulk gets her Hulk. placement because we're yeah. never getting Red Hulk, Jim. So stop dreaming. <laughs> and Abomination will be that Thunderbolts uh, fill in. I want Red Hulk too, but I just don't see unless they're going to do a thing where William hurts like Red Hulk. I, I just want that Red Hulk hot toys. Then yeah. that's it. Now I'm going to get my. I just need my Moon Knight one. I need my Red Hulk one, and then when I'm sixty, I'll get my Century one. Okay, Dude. that's. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Jim. Those big, the bigger figures, Hulk, Thanos-type hot toys, I know. they ain't cheap. I mean, none of the hot toys are cheap, but Hulk is going to run you about $500. I know. I'm just, just going to start saving now. A dollar, a dollar a week, just putting it in now, because eventually that's, a, that's how long it's going to be till we get it. So I've got plenty of time. Aaron, you think Val has recruited anybody else? What's your theory on Val? Uh, I think you guys are probably spot on with she's going to pop up in the post credits of all the rest of the movies, just pulling one person for her evil kickball team. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know who could be coming from Shang-Chi or the Eternals, but I'm sure there'll be somebody. Um, I Eternals wouldn't think- work with her. No way. Branded. Brandon, we just had them split the timeline into eight gajillion pieces. <laughs> Everything is on the table, baby. What? what, what? <laughs> I, I am 
actually, I wanted to bring this up, and I'm glad I get a chance before we get to the interview, is that I feel like we're going to see Jonathan Majors in the Turtles. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think yeah, we're going to see him in the Turtles. Yeah. I think he's going that's why they're not showing us any of the villains or anything else because it's going to be Jonathan Majors with no shirt on, oiled up, <laughs> doing, his, doing his feral yeah. thing. Dude, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do. That. I'm not going to do the hot toys, but I'm definitely going to get all like basically the the many faces of Kang Hasbro Legends figures. I'm all yes. about getting that. Like, I give me all those different faces of Kang. I'm I'm ready to go. Man, imagine the Kang Hot Toys figure. Oh, <laughs> oh we're going to be so poor. All right, let's go talk to our uh, Kate Heron interview. We're all going to go around here pretty quickly uh, and say the 2021 title we are most hyped for. The choices are Unknown Animation Project, which may or may not be happening, <laughs> Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, What If, Eternals, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Those are all still coming this year. What a time to be alive. Aaron, you're at the top of the screen, buddy. Luck of the draw. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick Miss Marvel because I really love Kamala. And I know there are other multiverse shenanigans other places, but I've been looking forward to that since they announced it. So if I could have my pick, I'd probably pick Miss Marvel. That's fair. Jim? I'm excited for a lot of it, but honestly, I really want to see what they do with Spider-Man. I, like, I just, with the, the hype, is, I, I know... That inevitably, I, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll be disappointed. But like, if they if they do what they say they're going to do, or what what even a fraction of it, if they do what we gonna say be. they're going to do, <laughs> right? Even if they do a fraction of it, I think I'll, I I will be I will be okay. I think that movie ends up being a bridge to Doctor Strange, which is the only thing that gives me reservations about it. But anyway, I'll get to mine. Jamie, you're up. Yeah, as I'm such a sucker for nostalgia, and I love the like. Give me Spider Man. Give me all those people coming back. Uh, I'm all. I, I just. It's. I can't pick anything else. As much as I want to, it's just that's the true answer. That's fair. That's fair. Jenna, you're on the spot. Hawkeye, definitely Hawkeye. I have mm. been. I've been waiting to see like Matt Fraction's Hawkeye it adapted into live action in some capacity, and now that we are getting it with Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. I am so excited for whatever that show ends up being, because if they have like even an ounce of the style that that comic has, it's going to be an amazing show. So mm-hmm. that's my pick. I'm excited for Hawkeye. I would be lying if I said there wasn't a gap in my excitement for the movies by comparison to the remaining TV shows. Uh, Spider-Man feels like the answer for me. I'm hyped for Spider-Man. Like I, I want to see this trailer so badly, but uh Every time I say Spider-Man, it's like Shang-Chi's on one shoulder and Eternals are on the other, like an angel and devil. Like, are you are you sure about that? Because we're right here. Here's the reason why you should be excited for Shang-Chi. Here's the reason why you should be excited for Eternals. You don't really know that much about Spider-Man, but I do think if I could watch one, it would probably be Spider-Man. Maybe because I haven't even seen anything from it yet. But uh, everybody in the comments, go ahead and let us know. Which one you're most excited for? I'm seeing a lot of different answers, and I love that. If you're listening to us in podcast form, send us your tweets with your thoughts about which movie or show remaining in 2021 in the MCU you can't wait to see. If you could watch one tomorrow, which one would it be? That's the way to think about it. Uh, And I love that we all had pretty different answers here. So that's sweet. All right, guys, we're about to toss it to our interview with their Loki director, Kate Heron. Uh, Really happy with this interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, We're going to try to set up a round of celebrity guests, trivia versus fans. uh, And maybe Kate Heron is now eligible to be a part of that. We'll reach out and see if she wants to join. Who knows if she's going to be available. She is uh, on another continent. Time zones are very different. So we'll see if we can work it out. But you can hit up Jim Viscardi while he's in jail at Jim Viscardi. You can find Aaron at Summit Lake Hornet. You can find Jenna at Hey, It's Jenna Lynn. And you can find Jamie at Jamie Cinematics. And uh, now in about 30 seconds, you're going to see our exclusive interview with Loki director Kate Heron. Richard, roll a tape. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hi, Kate. Hey, hello. How are you guys? Good. Great. <laughs> well, welcome back to our Phase Zero podcast. Thank you for joining us and talking full spoilers for uh, season one of Loki. Congratulations on an epic show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's just been so nice now that I don't have to keep all the secrets. <laughs> so it's like like a massive like, oh, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> so. do, they, do they give you like a list when you first start of like, here's all the things you really can't say, like in week one and then in week two and so on. Is that how that works? It's more like, I suppose like the things for us were like, I think we kind of knew, right? Because we knew that obviously about the timekeepers, we knew who they were going to meet in F6. So I think it was more just like, don't ruin those big surprises and <laughs> like any twist in the show, of which there are many basically. So yeah, but it's definitely been like, ah, uh, <laughs> like trying to not ruin stuff. So yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can only imagine. So um, I know you were a huge Marvel fan before this. Um, when you watched Avengers Endgame, did you have any idea that when Loki took the Tesseract and disappeared that you would be directing what comes next? No, no, I had no idea. I think I, I, I remember I had the same questions as everyone else, right? I was just like, where did he go? What's going to happen? He's alive. <laughs> like, yeah, so I, no, I, I didn't. I mean, it was really weird. I remember that I think when I pitched on it, I'm trying to remember, like, I can't, I feel like I went to go see Spider-Man, but I, yeah, but I think that was like the nearest Marvel thing to around the time when I was pitching. But even then I didn't know I had the job because it was quite a long process, obviously. So yeah, no, I had no idea, but I was so excited though. And I found out murmurings, obviously that he was getting his own show. So yeah. That's like that Tom Holland experience of watching the Avengers and then being in the Avengers. It's like the, everybody, it's so cool to be a fan and join the family. So I know like with actors, sometimes they don't know who they're even playing when they get it, when they audition and stuff like that. So when you were approached for Loki or when you approached Marvel for Loki, like when you had your pitch, did you kind of deter, like in that pitch, did you decide the end point? Did they have an end point in mind? Did you guys kind of meet on something? Like how does that work to start with? Yeah, sure. So when I pitched, basically, I got Michael's pilot script, uh, Alyssa's script for episode two. I don't think Bisha's script was done yet for episode three. I think I got that once I had the job, maybe. But yeah, but they, I don't know, I did get it. So I got, I think I got the first three scripts and then I got outlines for like the second half of the show. And I think like the rough kind of shape of it was definitely there. Like, you know, we knew that he was going to meet Sylvie, they were going to fall in love, and they would be. You know, I think we weren't quite sure how they would get to the void. <laughs> I think it was always known that Loki would somehow end up there and that Elioth would be there. And we didn't know exactly that, for example, things, these are little details, but like the portal will be inside Elioth. Like we just knew somehow they would defeat Elioth and that would lead them to he who remains. Um, but that, so kind of that rough spine was in there in the sense of, that I think there were little details like the Minutemen, for example, I think there was discussion about should they be robotic or clones or like how does the TVA work? Who are the workers? So like the conspiracy behind the TVA, um, then will be in variants is something we spoke about once I joined and had the job. Um, tonal things across the show. Um, yeah, but I'd say like the kind of broad strokes of it were definitely in place. So Marvel were like, you know, we want to set up the TVA. Loki's going to meet another version of himself and it's going to be this female version who's this cool, like, original character, like, based on the comics. Um, yeah, and that they will go meet He Who Remains at the end. So I knew when I was... So it's my long-winded way of saying <laughs> I knew when I was pitching that we were obviously taking Loki on a really new journey, but also the finale would be launching, you know, the next, well, a variant of the next big bad. So, yeah, so I was like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. So there was quite a lot. There's quite a lot, but it's exciting, obviously, seeing that already. So. And then you mentioned the comics. Um, there are so many different references across season one to different Loki comics, like Agents of Asgard and Vote Loki and Daniel Kimblesmith's run. How much comic homaging did you want to do? I know on social media, you've spoken about it a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, like, I just, 
I love so many of the stories with him in the comics and like particularly episode five, it was so rich, right? Because I, you know, I was like, oh, this is where we can get to have lots of fun. Like, I think because originally we knew that a group of bandit Lokis were going to go to the palace, but we didn't necessarily know who the leader was going to be. And I remember even with Tom, like, I think at one point, this is more scheduled, but I remember because obviously he's like in every scene. <laughs> and so we were like, okay, well, maybe he could play like, one of the bandits because I think I love the idea in episode two that you know you see all these Lokis that look like him to kind of throw you off the scent of Sylvie but I was like oh but we never see a Loki that looks like him who is Tom and it would be really fun if he could play another version of himself and then when we were thinking about the bandits I was like oh it'd be cool to have president in there <laughs> you know what I mean as like the leader and then it was just you know everyone was like oh well it has to be Tom like it'd be so fun and yeah, I think he had a bit of like a, I'm trying to remember what we filmed that day, but I remember you guys would have to ask him, but because I can't remember, honestly, but I remember he was playing like our Loki and it was quite emotionally taxing, I think, what we were filming. And then he had to go be president. And I think he was like, who am I? What's going on? Like, Yeah, it was a very confusing day for him, I think. <laughs> how we all felt for the past year. Who am I? What is going on? <laughs> so we can relate. Um, I uh, like it. I love this show start to finish and I know you follow me on Twitter and it scares me sometimes if I ever have like a critique because I know you're doing far better of a job than I could ever do. But my one thing was that the episode two ending had the massive cliffhanger with the timeline bombing. And then the next time we see the TVA, it was resolved. So I think the, the obvious assumption is that the TVA kind of fixed that, but I just wanted to ask for my own personal closure on that. Was that something that was ever plan to be something bigger or did the TVA just go resolve that? And it was like, we don't need to spend time on it because it's not integral to where we're going. Ooh. Okay. One thing I'd say is always critique. I think it's kind of fun. I like seeing people's thoughts and feelings on it. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think now. I don't think so. I think it was always that she bombed it and it ended in a big way. What we used to have actually was so in Alyssa's script, they used to be basically that it carried on. So she like went into the TVA and there was, we called it like the rampage. And originally I think in the script that was massive. It was like her going through the TVA and taking everyone out. But I don't know if we ever saw them clean it up though. And necessarily, I think it was always something that happened off screen. I think it was more just like the difference we did was we ended it with him going through the door in episode two, which we found in the edit. Um, and then, but yeah, in terms of that, I think, sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. I think it was always off screen. Now I think about it because it was always, you saw her do her rampage kind of through the TVA and we're with Loki's POV, right? And then they end up on Lamentus. So it's kind of like the TVA have been doing that while they've been on Lamentus. But yeah, but I totally get you guys. I'm like, so, but maybe that's good. Maybe there's like some more to be explored there. Or I think it's also me just, just trying to like, just like I go out here with all these theories and I'm almost, I'm almost always wrong, but the theories are the most fun thing. And I dove into that one so head on. And I, and I was like, ah, oh. I, I overthought that one. So um, Owen Wilson really shines through season one and season one has so many Easter eggs to Mobius's comic history and Mark Grunewald. Um, do you know who Mobius is in his normal life pre-TVA? And did, did, was that something that was ever considered as something that you would show the audience? So I think for us, like we had spoke about, I think there were a few drafts of the script where you did see like a family or you did see a life, but I think we all kind of decided we don't know what it is yet. And I think that's exciting, right? Because it gives more road to travel with him. And I think it's more painful when he's going to be deleted, him saying, what if I had a family? Because maybe he did, or maybe he didn't. I don't know whether writers will take his character. But I think that, yeah, I think the main thing we felt was that I think it was just that kind of in the turning of amping up the tension, it was more effective, I think, with B-15, for example, like her seeing her memories and seeing the impact that had upon her life. And then I think that kind of echoes then across everyone in the TVA because, you know, you see how much it moves her and what she does because of what she sees. So I think for us, it felt like at least in this part of the show that we didn't want to necessarily do flashbacks. But yeah, I think we definitely, the writers and I definitely had spoke about it and explored it with the studio, but I think we all decided just in terms of when everything started to line up, oh, it's actually better to play it out this way and then it can be left open for, you know, future exploration, basically. I love that. So um, episode three resonated with so many people for confirming Loki's sexuality. Personally, as a bisexual woman, it meant the world to me to see that on screen. Um, how did you approach crafting that moment knowing how significant it would be to so many fans? 
Yeah. So when I joined, it was very important to me and it was important to the team and everyone. And I think the main thought was really just about finding the right place for it and the right way to acknowledge it. Um, and the train felt appropriate just because it's kind of, you know, it's weird to say, it, but it's almost like a first date, right? Like both these characters are kind of bearing their souls and like getting to know each other and being more honest about themselves. And it just felt like, well, you know, she's trying to work him out and get to know him. So it felt like that's the appropriate place to do it really. And I think beyond that, it was just important that it was just, you know, like how to explain it. It's like a weird way to say, almost just kind of said like how someone was, you know, if someone asked me, I would just be very matter of fact about it. And I think that was also important as well. It's just like normalizing it, I guess would be how I would say it. Yeah. And I I love how you even put the bisexual lighting colors in the back of that too. (laughs) Yeah. That was such a great touch. Very clever. Very well done. Um, episode three, speaking of, I'm apparently on the cliffhanger train here, uh, but it ends on that amazing cliffhanger with the, but the one shot, the continuous shot, which I loved that. I thought I, I hooked the, my Disney plus up to a projector just so I could watch it on a bigger screen. And it was beautiful and it was so well done. I would love to hear like, you stitched so many pieces of that together. Like how mm-hmm. long did that take? Was that the most involved shot of the whole show? Yeah, like basically we, so we filmed it during COVID. So we actually had to, we filmed it right near the end of the schedule because obviously like all our amazing actors in that scene who are playing all the people, like they all had to isolate for like a while and just so we could actually pull it off safely. Um, Yeah, but it took, I think it took us maybe just under a week to film it all. And I had the best time. It was great. We were outside in this, because like Kazra built a huge set for it. So it felt like you were in Sheru. And I think that's the very first thing me and Autumn, my DP ever worked on because we had Bish's script and, I think just the way it was written was just so like you wanted to be with them in the moment. And I think there were other places where I'd sort of been wondering, or should this be in a one or should this be in a one? And I think Alyssa, the writer of Ep2 at one point she'd pitched, or maybe Sylvie's Rampage could be a one. But I think I just felt like Sheru made sense to me because you just want to feel like you're along with the characters for the ride in that moment. And yeah, and it took months like planning with everyone, like my DP Autumn, my stunt coordinator Monique, uh, Kazra, obviously, with like building things that we could then use to stitch or, you know, transition through my VFX team as well. So, like, yeah, I mean, there were so many people's efforts, but I think it's the first thing I started working on in 2019. So we we were working on it for ages, like just to get that right. So yeah, it was sort of, sort of like, oh, we were always chasing it and trying to make that work. So yeah. I mean, bravo. Like that was, it came out so incredibly, like congrats to all of you for working together on that. <laughs> Thank so you. <laughs> So um, I saw that you said that the throne Loki scene, like the King Loki scene was cut from the season because it didn't really fit. Were there any more deleted scenes? Cause I know that one was obvious to fans since it showed up in the trailer, but I was curious beyond that. Um, I think beyond that, like nothing major. I think there's always like trimming on scenes and you tighten it. Right. Cause I love improv. So, you know, like the actors would improvise um, bits and then you kind of take which bits you want to use. But I think that was kind of the main one. Um, we did a little bit of reshaping to Crater Lake, which is the lake they go to, because um, that used to be in episode three. But we did a lot of kind of structural reshifting in the edit. So with that going into episode four, we did a little bit of like tweaking basically to that scene. Um but yeah, I think that was probably the main one um, because it it also should say it was not, it was basically meant to be like a flashback to him in Asgard and it was like a kind of like a Frog of Thunder reference, but, and it was really funny, but it's just, he was literally, I think the next thing that happened is he saw Frigga and it just, it felt tonally a bit rot, like it was almost taking away from what was to come and like, and like, so it's not like it didn't work isolated, but it's just one of those things, you know, when you're cutting something together, it was like, oh no, actually, like, it's really fun seeing him as D.B. Cooper, but you kind of need a breath now to allow the mother and all the rest of that to have the impact it does. Otherwise it felt like we were sort of not treating that respectfully basically. So yeah, so that's kind of how that came to pass. That totally makes sense. So episode five is so chock full of Easter eggs. Um, to mm-hmm. some extent, it feels like you can just throw anything in there because since they're from another universe, it doesn't have to necessarily affect the main canon. Um, I know you made James Gunn's dream come true by throwing in the Thanos copter. Um, how did that d- detail get in there? Because I know myself and our boss at Comic Book and so many other people were so happy to see that now be canonized. 
Yeah, so I didn't actually know about it. And like basically, so Kevin Wright, our creative, he's like our executive producer from Marvel we were just thinking of stuff and he obviously knows about that. And he was like, oh man, he's like, this is the place to bring in that. And like, I just thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, I love that his name's across it. Like, it reminds me of like when kids in school had their name on their pencil case or something. I was just like, why has he written his name on it? But yeah, so no, it felt like, of course we have to bring that in here. Cause it's just, it's just too funny. It's just too funny. But yeah, no, we had a lot of fun and Dan Delu as well, our VFX supervisor, who's like basically like Marvel royalty. Like he did like Infinity War and Endgame and like, yeah, but he had, he's like super nerd and he was like, oh, this will be cool and this will be cool and this will be cool. So it was actually really fun. It was just kind of all of us pitching in like crazy stuff basically across the whole episode. But yeah, but no, the copter is very special <laughs> i was very happy without yeah, that yeah that I, I i that was like that leonardo dicaprio moment where you pop out of the recliner and you're like oh oh, oh. <laughs> there, yeah. was, I, there was also the the yellow jacket helmet and i have to ask because i know yellow jacket was like perma shrunk into maybe the quantum realm we don't really know quantum mania mm-hmm. is coming up like did you have to talk with peyton reed about whether or not you could include that so that was actually a pitch from Dan Delu, our VFX supervisor. And no, I mean, it maybe it went to him, but like, like I said, so Kevin Wright, our executive producer, he was like sort of our Marvel gatekeeper. So I, I, he would, you know, that's kind of how they do things. So like basically he would be across all that kind of stuff. And I assume behind the curtain be checking was everything okay with, you know, Kevin Feige and that it didn't unravel anything for anything else. But no, I think generally they're across Marvel and everyone. It was just fun, right? It was just a lot of goodwill to have fun with it and give a lot of kind of fun Easter eggs. So, I mean, you had like the living tribunal in there and like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like everything. It was great. That was a fun episode to watch for that alone. (laughs) Well, and going off of that, we finally got Frog Thor. I know that was another (laughs) moment where I leapt off my couch and was just so happy. Um, What was Chris Hemsworth's reaction when you told him that you were going to voice that, that he was going to voice that character? Yeah, so he was definitely up for it. I think I remember recording it with him because basically we we had that other scene originally that was in episode one. So that's what I had all these recordings for. But I was just like, oh, I feel so bad that we couldn't get it into one because it just wasn't quite right. And But then basically I always had that shot designed where I think I got the idea from Futurama or something. But, you know, where you go through like the dirt and like go down into the lair. And I was, I knew, I think in my head, I was just like, insert Easter egg. And I was like, we'll put something cool here. And then I think we'd been through a few things, but it was just as episode one was like locking in the cut. I was just like, oh, well, let's put Frog of Thunder there. Cause that's really fun. And, you know, and we could put the little comic book reference on the jar and like, yeah. So I just thought that was kind of a fun little nod to him there. But no, Chris was like, I think he was into, I remember him laughing, but it was just so surreal <laughs> recording him. Cause even in the original Uh, version we had it was a very short scene anyway so it was very short and sweet but yeah but he found it very funny I think (laughs) he was just probably like okay cool what is this like yeah that's awesome that's fun for uh in the last episode you were tasked with introducing a variant of Kang or Mortis or the he who remains of Jonathan Major's debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe who we we I believe the first report was that he's cat he was for Ant-Man and the Wasp was where he was cast for but then you are tasked with introducing him and like this Willy Wonka-esque performance, which was so much fun to watch. I love to hear like, what was it like? Did you have a hand in casting? Like, did you have a hand in kind of create, like, like crafting that performance? Like where did that, like as a director who's putting something as part of this puzzle, how does that all work? Yeah. So basically um, we always, that he was going to be in the show and we hoped that that would come to pass is great um but with the casting yeah so it was me the studio and Peyton and we just kind of yeah spoke about who we thought would be cool and Jonathan Majors was someone that we were all massively excited by so yeah I I was kind of like how am I in this conversation but this is great but just because it's such a massive decision for Kevin Feige and his team but I was very grateful to be you know at the table with them but yeah so basically but I, obviously, as you mentioned, like I knew that he was going to be a variant in our show, which in some ways alleviates the pressure because I don't know what Jonathan's going to do in the future movies. But I knew for our one, I was like, OK, well, let's just focus on our one, which is he who remains and he's a variant. And I think me and Jonathan, I think really the fun of it, honestly, was finding that fine balance between a character that's 
there's the introverted sense that he's living alone, right? And he's only, and I think the only person we sort of allude that he probably talks to is Miss Minutes. Uh, but then the extroverted part is that, yeah, he's, he's interested. I mean, I think Jonathan spoke a lot about, he did a lot of clowning and he said that he drew inspiration from that. And I think for me, honestly, Jonathan is such a good actor. It's really just about sort of giving him the runway to play and have fun with it. And then knowing the bits where me and him were like, okay, let's maybe like bring them in and go quieter here. So I think that was the key thing was like, where is he who remains being playful? And where is he being genuine with them? Like when he says like, wait till you meet my variants, I feel like he's being genuine then because you have to believe him then because I think you know he's telling the truth at that point so that was kind of the other thing as well is like when is he lying when is he not lying um so was he who remains supposed to be kind of the version of a mortis because based off of the comics it feels like there's a lot of similarities between the two characters yeah he definitely drew inspiration from him but it's kind of I suppose a bit like Sylvie in our show it's like a, an original version of the character like for the show but yeah but he definitely drew inspiration from him I mean we even have like a reference in the costume it's very subtle obviously like with the colors on his chest um oh but the costumes the fun one to talk about as well is that Christine my costume designer she kind of pulled inspiration from across multiple eras because obviously he's a character that exists outside of space and time but at the same time obviously I think the pandemic might have affected it because we're all living at home and so it's kind of like loungewear as well <laughs> that he's wearing which is I think, kind, of, kind of fun but yeah, because he's just chilling out in his office. But anyway, <laughs> do, you, do you get like nervous because like the Owen Wilson casting came out when he before it was officially announced. And then like when Jonathan Major steps on to set, that's like an even bigger one. You know what I mean? Because it's mm -hmm. part of like the whole future there, too. And Mobius, obviously, it looks like he's going to continue. But Kang the Conqueror is seemingly the big next mm -hmm. villain, big bad. Like, do you? get like kind of like a like a, a constant fear of like anytime a Kang the Conqueror story pops up like oh did they catch us did they find out it was definitely quite nerve-wracking because I remember that we were filming with Sophia one time and like she had her picture taken and like the pictures got leaked and I was like oh it's such a shame because it's such a and, and obviously that's going to be like a small pool of the fan base right and I get that people are excited and that hopefully the majority of people didn't see those but yeah but I was always like oh I really hope it doesn't get spoiled and somehow by some shred of a miracle <laughs> it didn't and everyone yeah kept the secret and I, I think it's just so cool then because it gives us much impact it was fun though seeing people pick up on little hints that we'd given early in the show and being like oh could it be him could it be him and I was just like ah because <laughs> I knew we were going to deliver at least on a version of that so yeah <laughs> That was really cool. Kevin Feige said in a recent interview that there was like a meeting with all of Marvel about how the multiverse is going to work and all the rules there and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I know that like you've touched on some of like the collaborative efforts and sometimes the producers just kind of keep everybody, you know, fluidly in check with each other. But I am curious because it seems very clear this Loki is going to kind of be the 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 setup for maybe some of Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness very clearly. Like, did you have to talk, did you ever have conversations with John Watts or Sam Raimi directly to be like, hey, we're doing this, does this help? Like, like did, did those conversations happen with you guys? Not between filmmakers. So basically every filmmaker has a sort of like, um, you work with an executive producer from Marvel. So I was working with a producer called Kevin Wright and he would have those internal conversations and then he would come back and be like, These, this is anything we need to shift, you know, from that bigger multiverse conversation. So it definitely was places that, yeah, in the story we tweaked it, but particularly in how we explain stuff in the Miss Minutes video, um, and then obviously like when he remains is telling his story and how he did everything. I think that was, we had an idea, but it was sort of always evolving based upon, you know, the ripple effect of the nature of the beast, basically. So now tell us everything you know about Dr. Strange. <laughs> and the <laughs> I Actually, I don't want to know. I want to see that movie's trailer and everything, but also it's like, I want to be surprised. I genuinely don't know anything. That's the thing that they're really good at is that you sort of, they, you know as much information as you should know. <laughs> so, That's smart. That's yeah. smart. It's, it's yeah. the best for everybody's safety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, everything I know is in our show right now. So how that will affect the rest of it, I don't know, but I'm excited to see. But, Once Tom yeah. Holland or Mark Ruffalo find out, it's over. It's over. <laughs> 
Um, so you've said in the past in previous interviews that you are a huge fan of X-Men, the animated series, and that that's a huge part of how you got interested in Marvel um, and that you also would love to return to Marvel down the line. Would you be interested in directing an X-Men movie or some sort of project involving those characters? Because I know myself and a bunch of other fans are like, yes, you should be like, you should definitely do this if you wanted to. <laughs> Oh man, like, yeah, if the phone rang, I mean, honestly, if Kevin Feige called me about anything else, I, I and even like, I, I just, I must stress because the reason I'm not coming back was just because I loved it and I have so much love for the company and the team. It's honestly just that I'm a writer and I want to just write what I do next. That's all it is. And that I've got some projects that I'm working on. So no, if, if Kevin Feige calls me and wants me to, I would happily, happily anything, anything, but yeah, no. And I do love X-Men. Like, oh, I just, I love it. So yeah. So no, I'd be very, I feel very lucky if they want to be back for anything, but yeah. <laughs> I think we would also consider ourselves lucky to see you back with Marvel. But we're definitely looking yeah. forward to supporting what you got next and, and what's coming fully out of your mind when you're writing as well. And I, to end this, I want to chop up a couple like just Easter eggs and stuff with you. But first, I know you're a Lost fan. OK, I'm a huge yeah. Lost fan. You brought in Elias. Like, come on. <laughs> it was that. Were you trying to take advantage of this, giving the smoke monster some more work here? I love that. I, I was like, she had to have drawn a little bit from Lost with this. It's such a weird one, right? Because I don't, because like me and Michael, the writer, we both love that show. And like, but Elias is from the comics and obviously we, we adapted it from the comics, but like, it was really funny. But the nature of the beast is, it, well, the beast is literally his, his living storm. So I was like, it was weird how it ended up sort of going because we were looking at actual weather and I assume Lost maybe did the same, but all our references like yeah but I remember being in the edit and being like oh like, this does have an element of that monster but as you said it's good to give the monster work so <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I, th I think in episode two it might have been episode one but there was the line Mobius says like the nightmare department and all of us were like Mephisto <laughs> Was that was that like uh like because I, I also talked to Black Widow writer Eric Pearson and he said sometimes like he put Crimson Dynamo in the script and Ursa and sometimes those things just get passed and they don't have a deeper meaning. Sometimes they do. When you <laughs> when you say things like the nightmare department, is that like a okay, we want to maybe reference nightmare for fun, or maybe we have a deeper meaning here? I think from what I remember, it was it was meant to be like a fun reference for you know. Yeah, people like yourself <laughs> to be like, oh, what does it mean? So, yeah, that was more what we were going for with that. But but who knows? I mean, like I said, I don't I only have so much information. So right, right, right. <laughs> it will play for a bigger scheme. <laughs> that makes sense. And in the in the last episode, the way it opened was so cool with the all the lines of dialogue from the Infinity Saga. Like, did you handpick all of the dialogue there and how it all kind of came? Like, talk to me about making those decisions on what to include. Yeah, so basically that sequence was a really interesting one, like ever evolving. So like, I'll try and talk through it very quickly, but basically, so Eric Martin, the writer was like, oh, I think it'd be fun to do like an homage to Contact at the beginning of Six. And he'd written in that we kind of move through space and then we go to the end of time and see the Citadel. And basically I took that idea to a storyboard artist called Darren and me and him worked on it. And Darren was pitching the idea of like playing with time within it, hence like also the two black holes, which was so cool. And then I was thinking, oh, it'd be fun to have some little MCU nods in there as well. Like, you know, the ships we see, for example, as we go through. Um, so that was like kind of the visual evolution. And Darren also pitched the idea that what if the timeline is circular rather than a straight line at the end? And I just was like, oh, that completely like blew my mind because I was like, that's great because we've set up that almost like time is a straight line. And in Miss Minutes even says it, I think she's like, oh, we think of time as one straight line, but what is it actually? And I thought that was really fun because it kind of shows like how we used to think the earth was flat and it's not. And like kind of like the TVA's knowledge was a bit limited. So that was like the visual thing. But the thing we were finding was, was like, visually it was really cool but like we were like oh but this feels like we want something extra and when we went into the physical part of the timeline at the end I was saying to my editor I was like oh well let's like put sounds of the earth in there like the ba a baby crying and like the city and a jungle and like it was really weird and like so she put all these kind of like sounds in there and then we had a few quotes from time um, and basically me, Emma, Kevin Wright and her assistant, Sarah Bennett, we were all really excited about that. And then basically 
we showed that to Kevin Feige and the other executives and they were like, oh, wait, that bit at the end is really cool with like all the weird sound. And then Kevin Feige was like, oh, we've never done like voices on the opening before. And then we were like, oh my God, that's great. So I think for us, we got excited about that in terms of the beginning. And then we were like, oh, well, let's just do it for the whole opening. And then it's like a kind of a handoff to the previous phase and paying homage to that. But then it's also kind of a summary of this chaos of the universe. You know what I mean? That he who remains is surrounded by. So essentially in picking the quotes, I would say like, I think there was some that, you know, everyone was pitching in. It was a massive group effort. I think Marvel were like, oh, this quote would be cool or this quote would be cool. Um, but my editor and Sarah, her assistant, they did a lot of the heavy lifting on picking those quotes. I think the main rule we went by was obviously whoever's picture it was, we wanted their quote by their name. Um, so that's kind of how that came to pass, really. And then when we extended out to the universe, we were also working with the Disney diversity team um, in terms of just, you know, who who are we, whose voices were in that. So, yeah, so it was really fun. But that's partly why I was working on the show, like right up till episode two, because we were doing this in crazy soundscape um but yeah but it was like a massive team effort and yeah we were all very proud of it so yeah i'm really glad people enjoyed it <laughs> that's amazing thank you for joining us uh if you ever want to come play mcu trivia with us you're welcome to be our celebrity guest against the fans and good luck with your day here sweet thank you so much i love to cheers 